Welcome into another episode of ESPN's Hoops Podcast. And the build-up continues to the FIBA World Cup and the Boomer squad continues to shrink. We are down from 18 to 13. Training camp in Kansas is done. My name's Kane Pittman and alongside me, the traveling Olga Nulich. And we all know this, Olg. Sometimes when you're traveling and you're working at the same time, sometimes you don't have all the equipment you need. Yeah, I brought my uh my clamp that i put my iphone on when i film things sometimes uh but i didn't bring my microphone uh that was a stupid decision i don't know why i didn't flip those two things um so yeah i am so if i if i sound not great quality wise my apologies i don't didn't bring a microphone i'm in a melbourne hotel uh here for some promo stuff that we did the other day for the world cup and then he basically threw the boomers warm-up games so i hope everyone can still hear me enough i hope you can hear me enough most importantly um, but, you, but yeah, you, we're down to 13. The audio is fantastic, but you just like to acknowledge it at the top. We're aware it's not as crisp Olgan as he normally is, but nonetheless, we wanted to do this podcast because uh, last night as we were recording this on Friday morning, there was some big news and uh, the initial cuts last week from 18 to 15, Thon Maker, Sam Farrell and Keanu Pinder, um, perhaps expected that it was going to go down that path. I know there was some certainly uh, support. Uh, for Thon Maker is, is maybe the, the backup five, versatile, space the floor, those types of things. But those three went, and then we all sat back and we understood that the next cuts were going to be the absolutely brutal ones. You're looking at positional stuff. You're looking at legends of the program. And ultimately, last night, Thursday, around 6 p.m., uh, the squad has been cut from 15 to 13. Uh, Will McDowell-White coming off an outstanding NBL season and... Really strong performances with the World Cup qualifiers last year. He misses out. Uh, and Matthew Dellavedova is is the big name that uh, regardless of what you predicted coming into this training camp or this World Cup, to me, still a little bit jarring to see that. It was always, and we spoke about this in the lead up, it always felt like Delhi and Dyson were competing for like that third string point guard spot. Um, presumably that's still the case. You know, who knows what could happen Maybe, maybe Dyson gets left out and then, you know, both Jack White and Xavier Cooks make it. Who knows? But yeah, it always felt like Daly was sort of on the outside looking in with regard to that spot. It it also felt like he was going to fight for it, which which from all accounts, he, he did. But you know, he was that cut. Uh, I, I would hesitate to spell the complete end of his international career just because there are there are games that exist outside of major international tournaments. It is very tough to see him competing in a major tournament from here on out because it was this one and then it's next year in Paris at the Olympics. It's very, very difficult to see him being involved in that next year considering the outcome this time. But I imagine that he will be a staple and probably the face of every Boomers quote-unquote B team that we see, the ones that compete in in qualifiers and in exhibition games in Australia and that sort of thing. So I wouldn't spell the complete end of his career and then look, his international career, and look, now we're at the... The very pointy end. It was weird that the plan was it was it was it was odd. Basel Australia in all of the imagery and in all of the press releases said we're going to bring fifteen to Melbourne for the warm up games. Uh, I was always told that it was probably going to just be twelve, and then we got thirteen. Uh, I think the Jock Landau injury is something that is like a little spanner in the works here, and they figured okay, let's take thirteen, see what happens. Good to have that extra body with us in Melbourne, um, but I do think it's a bit odd that there's there's still one cut to make and there's one guy in that team who's sort of presumably just on edge not going to be part of this I, I feel like 
I feel like it's a bit awkward. Well, I think the, the Landau theory makes sense. And just to be clear for those that haven't caught up, so don't go into a huge spiral of panic just yet, but Jock Landau is carrying uh, a little bit of an ankle injury. Uh, so he's unlikely to play in these Melbourne games. So that absolutely stacks up why the Boomers would carry 13 instead of 12 uh, through these games in Melbourne. But it probably also indicates that to me, and I might end up being wrong here, but to me, it indicates what what we've suggested right the way through the pre-training camp, the initial squad, that I think there is a decision to be made from the bigs. Because I think you're going to see in these three games, uh, Dwight Reed, Xavier Cooks, and, and Jack White getting obviously big opportunity. And maybe that matters. I think Gorge probably has made a decision. But then again, if you play these three warm-up games in Melbourne, maybe something can change. And overall, I thought the idea, you know, you bring a couple of spare bodies to Melbourne just in case the worst happens, knock on wood. That's generally the way it works out. But maybe with someone, certainly like Dally, it's just, look, you're better off just having that communication and that conversation there. Um, That's maybe the way it went down. But I just broke down this squad. And you notice I didn't put Nick Kay in in that conversation. He's going, from everything I hear, everything I understand, (laughs) Nick Kay is going to be there. So that's why I didn't put him in that conversation there. But I've split up this squad, and and then I'll throw it to you, Alex. Guards, I've got five guards on the roster. And the positional stuff, you can can mix and match, and some people might disagree with how I've designated this. But the five guards, Daniels, Exum, Giddy, CG43, Paddy Mills, the wings, I've got Josh Green, Joe Ingles, Matisse Dybal, and then Biggs, uh, Jock Landau, Dwight Wreath, Xavier Cooks, Jack White, Nick Kay. Uh, so are you leaning in that direction as well, that maybe there is just a, a little bit more positional crossover? Because uh, let's remember, with those wings that I have there with Joe Ingles and Matisse Thibel, they can absolutely defend up in small lineups as well. Uh, I agree with you positionally, and I also agree that a lot of those guards and wings are interchangeable. Like Dyson Daniels is, yep. is 6'8", 6'9". Josh Giddy is 6'8". Uh, Dante Exum is 6'5", 6'6". These, these guys can play effectively 1 through 4 or 1 through 3. And so that sort of stuff is whatever. Um, I'm sort of thinking, I wonder if this Jock Landau injury changed things in the sense of, do we think Xavier Cooks is more of a likelihood now because he spent more time at the five, the traditional five, than as Jack White would have uh, over his NBL career and, and just in general. I wonder if you bring the slightly taller, the, the guy who's who plays in the post a little bit better, just someone who's more conducive at playing at the traditional front court spot than a Jack White, who I think is more of like a 4-3. I wonder if that's the case. Um, but I also, I agree that this, this team is super funky, where I, I don't, to the point where I don't know who's going to start. I don't know what lineups we're going to see because I think it's just they, they can just chop and change a lot of stuff. But Nick Kay is is the, is the interesting one because he can be a you know quote unquote small balls small ball five. I imagine he starts at the four, dependent on matchups and things like that. Um, and I, I'm I'm glad you emphasized that off the top as well. He is a lock. He has always been a lock. But anyone who says otherwise, they are unfortunately just wrong. It's not just it's not a bad opinion or whatever. It's just like a, it's just not a right thing. Um, but I'm I'm interested in your take on you know, you mentioned all of those guards, right? You've got five guys there. Are any of those guys in consideration for you as potential 
not 100% locks. And I think a lot of people point to, to Chris Goldie. Um, I personally would have him as a lock for this team. Uh, Brian Gordon speaks extremely fondly of him, likes the fit of him next to Giddy. But do you see someone like him, potentially a Dyson Daniels, as someone who may be in consideration to be that final cut? Possibly. Uh, obviously, Gideon Mills are the locks out of those five guards that I've got. Probably doesn't even need to be said. Uh, I've been pretty strong on CG43 the whole way through. I did the podcast with Trevor Gleeson yeah. last week. I obviously value <laughs> a professional head coach's opinion, and he said that he would go with CG for that uh, specified skill of being the outside shooter, and, and maybe not a huge role for Chris Golding, but I would imagine he would play uh, every night, similar to what he did in Tokyo. So then that leaves Exum and Daniels. And so the question would be with those two guys, to me, maybe if you're going to go down a guard route, because you've got so many guys that can have the ball in their hands, Joe Ingles obviously will be able to run some offense. Uh, which one of those two guys out of Exum and Daniels plays better off the ball? Maybe that's, if you're thinking through the scenarios of what you need and how you function in an offense, uh, maybe that's what you consider. But let's also remember that out of these 12 guys, the reality is not every single one of them is going to play every night. You're not going to have a 12 minute rotation in a 40 minute game. So maybe you you do just take uh, all those guards and say, okay, now we've got protection. If anything happens, we back in our depth, we can slide up. Um, so I, I think it's less likely that one of the guards miss, but clearly it, it's Golden X of Daniels. I have CG43 separate to those two. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you was that there's a narrative, and I think there will continue to be a narrative, uh, of a lack of big depth. And I feel like that's also going to be at the forefront because of Landau's injury. Now, the expectation is he'll be ready for the World Cup. And so I don't think there's anything to, you know, poke clutch about that sort of thing. But the big depth is something that was a conversation going to Tokyo. It continues to be a narrative that exists. Do you do you see that as an issue? But, because when you point to Landau, Duopri, Nick K can slide up to the five, someone like Xavier Cooks, Cooks can as well. We'll see what funky lineups Gordon can throw out there. But is that do you see that as a, an issue at all, or are you pretty confident in the, the five-man situation? Yeah, I'm not too fast, but I think that's why Reith goes. Uh, because if, if something yeah. does go wrong, uh, you need a, a genuine guy that's 6'11", you know, pushing seven foot like Landau and Reith. So I think you need two of those guys. I always go back to Tokyo, the fact that they had those two players and Aaron Baines there. And then obviously we understand Baines didn't play outside of the first couple of games there. But Reith still only played three minutes per game. And a big reason for that was because Nick Kay played 28 minutes per game, scored in double digits, was the leading rebounder in the team. So I think that people get too caught up on the wording for mine. And when you say that that they're too small or they might be undersized, I think it's a different conversation. I'm happy with the depth of bigs, um, but just purely looking at the measurements of the players, they are a little undersized, but they have players that play undersized and thrive uh, sliding up in position. So I think it's two different conversations to have. But naturally, if you're going with Nick Kay at 6'9", at the five, six nine, six ten, and I want to rub him up an inch. Uh, and <laughs> that is generally undersized, but they've competed in the past, and I expect them to do it again. Yeah, and 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 I agree with you. Um, that I'm, and in saying that, I'm slightly, uh, I, I question the idea of cutting the three bigs immediately. I, I think there would have been value in bringing fifteen to the Melbourne games, um, and at the very least. In a situation like this where Landau is injured, 
I guess you have some insurance at the big spot. Um, but I agree with you that when it, like a fun maker, a Keanu Pinder at the San Fran, just yep. the body's there. Um, but I also agree with just the general final assessment of there's going to be 12 guys. The, the Landau, Reith, K, and then I, I'm going to, I'm assuming Cooks, but it very well could just be Jack White and they might just roll with, you know, three guys who can play that traditional five spot. I, I think that's enough. Um, and then the rest of the roster, just like have at it, basically. From one to four, I feel like literally everyone on that team can just mix and match. It's going to be purely positionless. Um, what would you... Ah, it, it's tough because Landau's not going to play in these warm-up games, but what what is what is the starting lineup that you see out of this group? Uh, and I know that's tough, and I know it, it could also be based on circumstances it could be based on matchups and things like that but let's say let's say australia is going up against uh a france that might put out that might have a, a nicholas Batum at the four what is what is the ideal australian boomers starting lineup that you're throwing out there so this got thrown at me and i wanted to come back to this because you mentioned uh yeah the possibility of nick k starting at the four uh which clearly i mm. think is will happen at some point through uh, this campaign but this got thrown at me randomly the other day on a on a radio hit and i hadn't really thought about it so then in my head i'm like shuffling through all the names and i'm like okay what actually does make sense i haven't <laughs> thought about this properly uh, but the answer i gave and i'll just stick with it but for the out of the uh, the honor of consistency with my predictions i went with um, josh you're allowed to change your opinion as well based on new evidence that that comes forward Keep that that's right but i gave the answer with a caveat as always so the starting five was josh giddy Patty Mills, uh, Matisse Thibel, uh, Joe Ingles, and Jock Landau. Now, th- that was the five that I put down there. I think, and I've always uh, felt this way, that, and depending on who it is, and I, I know Nick K has obviously shot the ball pretty well, and there's different guys that you can put in there. But I think as we look at Josh Giddy to continuing to develop the outside game, Matisse Thibel, streaky at this point in his career but shot the ball pretty well in Portland actually and then Joff Lando who's actually come off a couple of rough seasons shooting the ball from the outside in the NBA I think Joe Ingles not only with the playmaking uh obviously he's going to know every single thing that Patty Mills is doing on the floor at all times but I think the way that he shot the ball in the NBA over 40 percent at a really really nice volume I like the balance of of shooting and facilitation with Joe Ingles there as well as just the size but that might change uh, the other thing I want to throw at you, and I love how I'm taking the hosting duties at yes. this time, because uh, I'm I'm so interested in because these are conversations that you and I have sort of around the basketball community in Australia, and it's it's almost just like it's different whether it's you know coaches, whether it's players, whether it's agents, whether it's administrators. You sort of have these conversations just ongoing over the course of every boomer cycle and even leading up to them. Where it's just you're just throwing ideas at each other, seeing what works, seeing what other people think. So this is interesting to me because because. These are all everything you're saying is stuff that gets talked about, but it's it's now that we're sort of in the thick of it now, it's really cool that we're gonna actually see this stuff executed. The other question I want to bring to you is we mentioned Matisse Thibel. Because and I feel like we all have this perception of him because of the memories we have from Tokyo, where he was extremely effective and he was this sort of this piece that Australia never really had before. But then I'm looking at someone like Josh Green, mm-hmm. who Josh Green's a better NBA player than Matisse Thibel. I think. I think there's a good argument that that's the case. 
I think he's demonstrated to be a more efficient shooter than Matisse Thybul. Doesn't have the same size. They're similar, but they defend in a similar way. I think Matisse Thybul has the edge defensively, but Josh Green is considered a, a very above, above average defender in the NBA. Is, is there a world, obviously considering Josh Green's age as well, where Josh Green is that starting three instead of Matisse Thybul? And maybe Thybul is the energy guy off the bench. He's the guy that comes in and gives the boomers a, a, a spark. There's there's something in Josh Green's ability to shoot the ball that makes me really like a lineup that, for example, has Giddy, Mills, Green, Ingles, and Landale. 40% from three last year with Dallas, 41.3% on catch and shoot opportunities as well on decent volume. And I think the catch and shoot looks are the ones that you're going to be looking at. So that was part of the reason. And then additionally, the role that we saw him play in Dallas, I think situation matters in terms of trying to determine who had a better year last year. Obviously for Thibault, it was a little all over the place um, yeah. with his situation. And Josh Green clearly with a skill set that, let's face it, the Dallas Mavericks absolutely desperately needed because no one on that team wanted to defend. So I, I think, but, but I think that you're right. I, I think that Josh Green absolutely is interchangeable there. And that's why, even if I do a prediction about the lineup, I'm like, let's face it, Gorgon could have 15 different uh, options that he can deal with. I just wanted to, and and we discussed this the other day, Olds. You know, Green for me is one of the, the X factors of the tournament for those reasons. Maybe they'll run into Slovenia and he's going to be defending his uh, old mate, uh, Luka Doncic. <laughs> so, all right, let's come back to you then. And we were going to make this a short pod, but whatever, we'll get to the end of this eventually. But th- this is, a, I think this is a, this is an interesting question. So the Joe Ingles discussion. So uh, we have seen in the NBA over the last couple of seasons, whether it was pre-ACL, post-ACL, he sort of slotted into that sixth man role, certainly in Milwaukee last year. Uh, there was times where he just anchored the second unit. He was basically the point guard of the second unit. So if Brian Gorgian sits back and says, okay, well, we've got Matisse Thibault and Josh Green that can guard on the wings and they can guard up. And we've got Nick Kay that can start at the four. And then we're going to have the flexibility with Xavier Cooks and Jack White. And if Joe Ingles isn't starting in this Boomers team, then he can essentially function as your backup point guard. So then do you have too many guards in the squad? Yeah, I've, I've thought about this. And I've spoken to a few people about this. And the consensus that I get is that there, there doesn't seem to be a world where Ingles comes off the bench. Where, where the quote-unquote, where, where you quote-unquote disrespect Ingles and have him come off the bench. Now, of course, we, we know that coming off the bench isn't disrespectful. We know that it matters who finishes games. I agree with you. If I was building this team, if I was playing 2K and I had this team in front of me, I'm starting Giddy Mills, Green, K Landale, or Fiebel K Landale, or Green, Fiebel Landale, right? Based on the matchups. And I want Joe Ingles coming off the bench as my main creator. So I, I want him in my 9-5 to be clear. So I kind of go back. So do I. Yeah. No, look, so, so do I. But there is... But there is a, a fantasy in my head where he comes off the bench as the point forward, as as the guy who who you put the ball in his hands, and maybe Giddy has some rest, and Joe Ingles comes on, and it's 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 Ingles and Paddy, and it's Green out there, and maybe it's Goldie, and, and basically you put shooters around him, let Ingles come off on balls because he's really elite coming off on balls, and let him be the creator, and that in my mind is also. Potentially the recipe in, if you want to leave off one of those point guards, whether that's a Daniels or an Exxon, 
if you lean on Ingles as your sort of sixth man, the guy who comes off the bench as the creator, then you can get away with bringing both Jack White and Xavier Cooks because there is value in having both of those guys when you play maybe a Team Canada or a Team USA or one of these bigger, longer teams. Maybe having those bigger, versatile guys is more helpful. Maybe just having the idea the idea of just interchanging those guys. Maybe one shows up, maybe the other doesn't. We'll see. But I, I like the idea, but I think it's I think it's in theory at this point because I just don't think there's a world where it doesn't seem like Eagles has really taken a back step basketball-wise. He seems to still be on... Uh, in, in a really solid place. I don't see it happening, but I see it happening for the Olympics. I put it like that. I think it could get to a point where maybe Josh Green shows enough that, okay, man, you're like our third option, potentially. I, I feel like he has the potential to to become that on this team as far as the, the third like perimeter option. And I wonder if, if, if that happens and Matisse Steibel is elite in his role as a connector, as a, as a cutter, um, as someone who can maybe hit spot-up threes, then I can imagine come Paris, Ingles sort of just moves on to that six-man role, and and that's how we move forward. It's probably the, the best way. When we talk, we talk about, Kane, okay, we talk about the, the idea of the evolution of this team and slowly graduating from that senior core and into the new guys. I feel like that's a really healthy way to do it. Uh, it's a good segue. So as we have some final thoughts here, and we knew coming into this camp that there was 10 NBA players on the squad. And as we went through and did our calculations, Nick Kay, obviously someone we all had in there. I also had to operate. And I also, as I've said, thought that Chris Goldian was going to be there. And when I spoke with Chris Goldian a couple of weeks ago, he said, look, we're going to get to a point where an NBA player might not make the final cut. As he said that, I thought, yeah, it might be in a couple of weeks based on the decisions that Brian Gordon has to make. Because of you. Because of the decisions that Brian Gordon has to make. And I think the conversation we've had just highlights that. But I wanted to tie it up and bring it back to Daly just at the end here. We obviously spoke about him at the start. Because I think for the most part, I certainly as I scrolled through social media, saw a lot of positivity about Daly and everything that he's contributed to the team. But there is also the negative. Well, he's, he's past it. He's no good. And I think that that's not the right way to look at this. I think the way to look at this is that it, Dali uh, started a bunch of the games in Tokyo. Would be a capable player on this squad. There's no question. He's been in the NBA the last season. I know he didn't play a lot. But this is about the next wave coming through that are bigger, more athletic, and they have gotten yeah. to become top 10 draft picks and first-round draft picks in the NBA. So I don't look at this and go, well, Delhi was over the hill because I think he's going to play great basketball for Melbourne United this year. This is about the next generation of Australian talent just being on a level that we just haven't seen before for, for all those measurements that we discussed. So I don't. I, that's why when I tweeted it, I just said, look, Delhi's been a legend of the, of the boomers of Australian basketball in, in general. Three Olympics, two World Cups. I think you're right. I wouldn't... You, you can't categorically rule out Paris next year. Daly said he came back to the NBL and one of the reasons was Paris was in mind. And things happen, as we know. So I'm not going to be out here saying congratulations on the great boomer's career because I don't think that's right. And I don't think he would particularly love that either because I'm sure that he's not yeah. going to give up. Um, but I just... I hope that uh, the... The discussion points continue to be positive because when you talk about guys that have given it absolutely all, uh, he's right near the top of the list. 
Yeah, and the the issue is circumstances were just not in his favor. Uh, yeah. In in the same way that, for example, like Will McDowell White, I think he's extremely talented. And if he was this guy going into Tokyo, maybe he makes it over Nathan Sobey. And maybe he's that guy because there was that spot available, right? And in the same way that in, in years past, the way this is different from the Ben Simmons situation almost a decade ago and, and the Giddy situation two years ago is that neither of those two had been in the NBA, whereas Dyson Daniels had a year in the NBA. He sort of had that extra year of development. He'd shown enough. And so this wasn't just putting a young kid in over Delhi because you need to blood this guy. This is partly that, but also he, this Dyson Daniels, presumably it, it came down to Dyson and Delhi with regard to like that, that third string point guard spot. That's just what we assume going in. But Dyson had shown enough in the NBA that we can blood you as a young guy, but also you've shown enough that you can also bring value if called upon. Um, and that was just un- an unfortunate timing thing for Matthew Delaver Dover. Um, because if this was a year ago, if the World Cup was in 2022, maybe Delhi makes it over Dyson Daniels because Dyson Daniels didn't have, wouldn't have had a rookie season. Um, I think we also forget, maybe it's a, maybe it's a recency thing, because we just we look at Delhi now, didn't play really for the Sacramento Kings. But Delhi in the 2012 Olympics, and I think particularly in the 2016 Rio Olympics, was elite. I want to say, I've got to check these stats, but he was up there as the leading assist man in that tournament. We, we figured that it was him and Andrew Bogut as like this pick and roll duo. Delhi was finding everybody. And then he, keep, he kept carrying that over. He brought that into 2019. He was really solid as well. And so... And he was unbelievably effective for these boomers too. Um, and so this is, it, it, it's, I don't want to say it's a loss for the boomers because they, they picked talent over him. Um, but this is, it's Delhi's career with the boomers should be recognized for what it was, which was, he was a legitimate piece in helping this team go through those hard times with those fourth place finishes and ultimately win that bronze medal. Um, and like you said, again, circumstances, don't favor him going into Paris, unfortunately. Um, but I feel like if anyone, if you're going to write someone off going into an international tournament, I, I, I'm, it's not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to write Delhi off. Um, because who knows? He could come back in and hustle and, and, and suddenly put his, make his way in that team. I'm not going to yeah, put a complete lie through his international career. I think it is, but I'm not going to put a complete one through it. Well, if you're not... Uh, aware or recognizing what he's done over the course of his career. I'm not sure you've been watching because you're right. There should be nothing but respect. And he's still got a bit left in the tank, I believe, as well. So uh, he said himself, when I asked him specifically, do you think you're going to make this squad? He said, I've been an underdog my whole life, so I'm going to keep fighting uh, (laughs) now and over the next few months. And uh, that's that's why we love him. But to me, just as you take your media hat off and you're a basketball fan, there's a pinch of sadness that he wasn't there as there was when Aaron Baines wasn't in the extended squad, and as there was when Bogut wasn't able to get to that final Olympics and have a chance at the medal. So uh, these guys, legends, that's who we've grown up with. People of uh, our age, Olgan, watching these teams and hoping for the best and staying up late at the Olympics. So I I just, that's basically all I wanted to say. I hope that there is nothing but love and respect for him over the next few weeks. And uh, as he, we get to see him up close and personal with another NBL campaign. So uh, Dally the big name that misses out on the final squad, but there's still a decision to go. Uh, I'm excited for these games in Melbourne next week, Alex. And I, I think 
the build-up is only going to get bigger. Yeah, I'm I'm so intrigued because if if Gordon, I, I spoke with somebody about this today. If Gordon knew who he was bringing, he would have done it by now, right? Why would you put someone through the misery of playing in these games or being a part of this only to be cut ahead of the flight to to Tokyo and then to Okinawa? Why would you do that? And so these, for me, just based on what I'm looking at, these points to Gorgon and that stuff, not knowing yet who's going, they I it, I feel like they actually don't know who that final cut's going to be and that, and that these games might legitimately decide it, which is wild to think about. I don't know if I've ever seen a team of 13 when it has to be cut to 12. Um, that's going to be brutal for that one person, but it, but like just as brutal for this coaching staff who's going to have to make that decision and give that bad news. I'm I'm so intrigued going into these games. All right, let's wrap this thing up. The FIBA World Cup right on our doorstep now, just a couple of weeks away, and of course you'll be able to watch every single Boomers game live on ESPN. It's going to be just a nice, perfect time slot Early evening in Australia, you'll be able to settle in and watch the Boomers. And and let's be honest, we're on a roll with World Cups at the moment uh, in this country. Everyone's getting around the the national sporting team. So hopefully uh, the Boomers can continue to roll that on and keep up to date with all the other news and podcasts and stories and everything else on ESPN.com.au. Olga and myself are going to be on the coverage and Andrew Gaze, Trevor Gleeson, Nerily Meadows is going to try and control us all somehow. We'll see how she goes with that. There's going to be yellow, very familiar names uh, on the TV as well, covering uh, this uh, team. John Casey on the call, of course, uh, as he is for uh, all the Boomers games. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We can't wait for it. Olgs, it's going to be a good couple of weeks.